If you have your Bibles this morning, I trust that you do. If you can open with me to John, the Gospel of John chapter 14. The Gospel of John chapter 14 is where we're going to be today. And welcome to week 9 of a 13-week series that has us as a faith family walking through the Apostles' Creed. Um, the oldest of all the Christian creeds, and as we said, this creed, although not written by the apostles, um, is a summary of all that the apostles taught and all that they um, believed. And as we've been saying from week one, when the early church, whether right before being baptized or whether right before their um, time in the Word, when they stood and recited this creed, it was simultaneously their greatest act of rebellion because they were rebelling against um, the, the thoughts and the beliefs of their day, and it was also the greatest act of allegiance. They were united together saying, this is what unites us. This is what we believe. And in, in both senses, we need to continually rebel against the, the popular and secular narratives of our day that tells us things that God's word um, says is not true. And sometimes we, we believe things that God's word doesn't say, and we need to rebel against that while at the same time, we need to be brought closer together um, as a people of God by what we believe, um, by this which is true. And in immersing ourselves in what we believe, today we come to the phrase, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And with that phrase, we enter into the third major section of the creed. And kind of as we said, it's worth remembering the Apostles' Creed is a Trinitarian creed with a section devoted to the Father, a huge section, section excuse me, devoted to the Son, and then a final section devoted to the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing that although the word Trinity never appears in the Bible, you won't find that word in the Bible, the truth and the reality of it sure does. Um, and the, the biblical Christian view that we hold, that we look at in the Word, that of course that we sing about, is that the, the Godhead is God. Um, is, is three distinct persons, and yet he is one. All persons of the Trinity are equally omniscient, um, omnipotent, omnipresent, eternal, unchanging. Because of that, we're able to sing like we just did. Father, we love you. Glorify your name. Jesus, we love you. Glorify your name. Spirit, we love you. Glorify your name. And let me just say this. We believe in the Trinity not because we understand it all, because we don't, we believe in the Trinity because the Word of God reveals it. The Word of God reveals to us that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and yet God is one. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, this is where um, there's a lot of, of different beliefs, and this is where we kind of spread out a little bit. And um, people tend to think wrongly about the Holy Spirit concerning who He is and, and what He does. Many um, people view the Holy Spirit as kind of like the weird uncle in the family that shows up at the family reunion and makes things awkward. You know, you know that uncle? Everybody has that. If you don't know that uncle, you might be that uncle or, 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 that, or that aunt. But many people think of the Holy Spirit in that way. He shows up and things get a little awkward or they, they equate the Holy Spirit to emotionalism or to spontaneity, um, that the Holy Spirit shows up and things get out of control um, really, really quick and Unfortunately, sometimes people remove the Holy Spirit from, from all, that the, all, all the beauty that the Bible um, informs us that He is and that He does for us. I, I love that the, the Celtic Christians had a name for the Holy Spirit, and they called Him Angod Gloss, which is, means the wild goose. 
They called the Holy Spirit the wild goose. Yet yesterday we were at, our family was at Arlington Park Cemetery um, doing the, the, the final um, service for my Uncle Jack, and we were there, and my uncle lived a, a block from um, the cemetery. So as kids, we were always down at the cemetery. We would run things. And the, so the Strickland kids were down in the, in the um, hanging out um, there, and of course, it was our gang against the gang of these wild geese um, that would hang out. And of course, we would try to take our turf. Um, these geese would fight back and take um, their turf. We told stories yesterday of every single one of us um, being bitten on our backside. And as we uh, got too close, tried to run away, and the geese would attack us. Um, and of course, for some reason, we kept going back. But just think about that picture. And from a child's standpoint, thinking about a, a goose in our days, it was great, but it was also terrifying. It was exhilarating, but yet fearful. And then think about that picture of the Holy Spirit, untamed, unpredictable, yet totally in control, totally purposeful, totally organized, totally powerful. And we have been given a gracious responsibility in the day and time um, in which we live that we can know and we can experience the Holy Spirit. I love the words of the Puritan John Owen. Listen to what he says. He says, The Bible portrays for us a history of redemption with three major divisions that reveal progressively the three persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We live in a unique climatic period of redemptive history, the days of the Spirit. Just as Israel of old had a special responsibility to know and honor God as Father in oneness of His nature, and just as the people of Palestine had a special responsibility to know and honor Jesus as the Son of God in the days of His flesh, so now we have a special responsibility to know and honor the Holy Spirit. Listen to that, brothers and sisters. We have a responsibility, not just a privilege. We have a responsibility to know and experience the Holy Spirit of God. And how thankful we should be that we were born. And let me just remind us of this. None of us had a control of that, where we would be born, the time we'd be born. But we were born in a day when the fullness of God's nature as three in one has been revealed. When the various ministries of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been displayed before us, have been offered to us, not just for experience, but for us to enjoy, to enjoy God as our Father, Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit as our minister and illuminator and, and comforter and, and helpers. We're going to see today. So what we're going to do this morning, again, as we normally do, we're going to just a second stand and with deep conviction, we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed together. And then we're going to let that point us always um, to the authority of the Word of God before us. So if you're able, we're going to ask you to stand. We're going to read the Apostles' Creed, recite that together, and then we're going to let that um, push us and point us to John chapter uh, 14. So if you could join me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven 
and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of life, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, if we can look at John 14, beginning at verse 15, reading through verse 21, remembering these are the words of Jesus. He says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now, coming to the subject of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. God, the Spirit of God, God himself, and we come before you, Holy Spirit, asking that you would show us, reveal to us, illuminate to us the truth of who you are. Lord, that we would see you, desire you, want you, understand our need for you in so many areas of our lives. Lord, just lead us into your word and lead us by your spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So when we think about the Holy Spirit, although there is something wonderfully mysterious about the Holy Spirit, um, the Holy Spirit has been called the assuming member of, um, or the unassuming member, excuse me, of the, the Trinity, the one who doesn't point to himself but points us to Jesus. Yet the weird thing is there is something that seems to be in our day and age divisive about the Holy Spirit. The irony is that the Holy Spirit was given to unite the church but beliefs about him have divided the church. It's amazing to think about. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, Christians tend to kind of gravitate towards um, one of two extremes. So just think about where you fit here. So some pursue experiences of and in the Spirit, oftentimes experiences that don't um, ever line up with the Word of God or that they don't really care about what the Word of God says in that way. They listen for, for voices um, in their hearts. They seek signs from God in the, the heavens. Um, they look for bigger and greater experiences and always seeking something greater than what they, they have. And you might know some of those people. Um, their worship experiences seem to get a little crazy at times. I think of um, two experiences that I've, I've had. One as a youth, I was in a Pentecostal church and um, the we were there for, for, I forget what it was, but um, right in front of us, it was myself, my buddy Bill Dillion, as you know him, and, and uh, a woman right in front of us stood up and shouted out right in the middle of the service, the Holy Spirit just passed through me. And of course, me and Bill, I kid you not, in that moment, we both scooted over and we were like, 
You can have the next row, Mr. Spirit. Um, keep on going. Not quite sure about that one. And it freaked us out a little bit. I think of another time later on when I was in college, went to a revival service, and they had a person um, that was uh, coming around wanting to pray for people and knocking people down and seeing people slain. And I thought to myself, the guy came up to me and said, I want to pray for you. And I said, Lord, if you want me to go down, I'll go down. But this fool ain't knocking me down. He's not going to knock. So he was praying for me, and he was pushing. And as he was pushing, my foot was back, and I'm like, and I'm pushing against him. And I'm like, he is not going to take if, if the Spirit wants me down, I'll go down. But this guy is not going to be the one. So you had that picture, and maybe some of you have had those experiences. And uh, maybe some of you, that's where you kind of gravitate. I'm not making fun in any way whatsoever. Just my experiences um, were kind of funny. But the other side of it, the other extreme, and this is where many Baptists, the camp that we're in, is often we seek to know the Word of God, we seek to obey the Word of God, but we do so without any interaction or any dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Meaning, we know the Holy Spirit floats around our heart somewhere, but we treat Him or we, we relate to Him like we do our gallbladder. What I mean by that is this, we know our gallbladder's in there somewhere, it's necessary for the digestive process, but we have no real interaction with our gallbladder. Unless things get bad with it, then it tells us, I'm here. And sometimes that's how it is with the Holy Spirit. We have no real interaction until um, we're in a church service and the pastor um, starts getting in our business. And the Holy Spirit starts saying, I'm here. And that's our interaction that we have. Yet, let me just say this. That's not the way we want to respond to the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit of God. So what I want to do is I want us to unpack Three foundational truths this morning related to the Holy Spirit. And let me just say from the beginning, this is not meant to be an exhaustive list of the Holy Spirit. We could not cover in a whole year, let alone a whole, um, however many times you want to do the whole picture of the, the Holy Spirit. But we want to not do an exhaustive picture, but an informative picture of the Holy Spirit for us today that I pray will be um, a blessing and, and beneficial for us. So the first truth is this, the Holy Spirit is personal. So the Holy Spirit is personal or you might put in parentheses that I have in my notes he is a person he is a person the Holy Spirit is personal he is a person and it's sometimes difficult for us to grasp that the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person and not an it if you listen to some believers talk about the Holy Spirit they refer to the Holy Spirit him as an it it does this it does that and it's easy to think that way because after all the Bible describes the Holy Spirit as a mighty rushing wind he comes on his disciples at Pentecost with um, divided flame of fire. We also read that he descends on Jesus like a dove. So it's easy to read that and go, well, it's got to be an it, right? There's so many different things. But let's remember that Jesus called himself the bread of life, that God referred to himself as the refuge, and we're able to hide under the shadow of his wings. So that doesn't mean that Jesus is a loaf of bread, nor does it mean that God is big bird. So, I mean, those two things that doesn't happen, what we're given is a, a metaphor that helps us understand who he is. In the same way, we know that the Holy Spirit is indeed God, indeed a divine person. And we know that because, first and foremost, the Word tells us that. In fact, in John 14, the second member of the Trinity explains to us the third member of the Trinity when he says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Listen to this, because it neither sees him, doesn't say it, 
nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And another approach to this is kind of to ask the question that sometimes we don't ask, which is this. How do we know that the Father is a person? How do we know God the Father is a person? How do we know God the Son is a person? The answer is that the Bible presents to us a person as a substance who can do personal and relational things such as speak, think, feel, act, respond. Someone who does these personal things within relationship is a person. So the question becomes, how does the Holy Spirit measure up in that way? And here's what we know. According to the Word of God, the Holy Spirit teaches and reminds us you look at verse 26 of this chapter, it tells you that. In John 16, the Spirit speaks. In Acts 13, the Spirit makes decisions. In Acts 13, the Spirit set apart Paul and Barnabas for the mission. In Ephesians 4, the Spirit can be grieved. We can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In Acts 5, the Spirit of God can be lied to, as Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, 11, the Holy Spirit gives gifts spiritual gifts to us. In Romans 8, the Spirit helps us, intercedes for us. The Spirit of God has a mind and knows the mind of God. In Romans 8, the Spirit, I love this, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And then in John 16, the Spirit of God glorifies Jesus, bears witness concerning who he is. But think about this. How does the Holy Spirit measure up as a person? Um, we would say pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. In fact, I love A.W. Tozer who said, spell this out in capital letters. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is not enthusiasm. He is not courage. He is not energy. He is not the personification of all good qualities like Jack Frost is the personification of cold weather. Actually, the Holy Spirit is not the personification of anything. He has individuality. He is one being and not another. He has will and intelligence. He has knowledge, sympathy, and ability to love and see and think. He can hear, speak, desire, and rejoice. He is a person. And brothers and sisters, it makes a great difference when we believe, when we truly believe that we are not being indwelt by a, an impersonal force from a distant God, but that we are being indwelt by a person who in his very essence is the love of God and the presence of God with us, and not just with us, but in us. Because he's a person, we can have a relationship with him, and because he is a person, our relationship with him must be personal. We must have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I love what Jesus says in John 14. For Jesus says the Holy Spirit is our personal helper. Jesus says another helper. Now, maybe some of your versions might say that he's a counselor. Or excuse me, some of your versions might say comforter. So comforter, although I always think about a quilt. Um, so he's a quilt to us or comforter to us. Some say counselor. And I want to be careful not to see the Holy Spirit looking at us going, how does that make you feel? How, how does that make you feel? We don't want to do that. I love this picture of Jesus as, or the Holy Spirit, excuse me, as the, the helper. For the Holy Spirit as our helper gives us a picture of one who stands beside us and one who speaks to us and one who speaks 
for us. And when Jesus says that word, another helper, that is so powerful. Because just think about the way Jesus responded to his disciples. He had walked along his disciples for three years. He called to them, taught them the promises of God. And here's the other side of the Holy Spirit as personal is that the Holy Spirit, as Jesus walked with his disciples, the Holy Spirit does that for us. He walks beside us. He speaks to us, proclaims to us the promises of God, reminds us of that. Think about this. When our hearts condemn us and when we feel like because of our sin, as believers, we are under the condemnation of God, the Holy Spirit speaks to us a louder word. And the Holy Spirit reminds us, according to Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or the Holy Spirit reminds us, according to Romans 8, nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Or when our circumstances make us feel like God has abandoned us. The Holy Spirit speaks to us and says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Or according to Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. As a personal helper to us, the Holy Spirit calls out the love of God over our lives, calls out the assurance to us that God is with us. And let me just finish kind of this section in, in this way. There are times where the enemy calls out to us. There are times where the enemy calls out to me and the enemy says to me, Micah, you don't measure up. Or you're not able. You're not able. When that happens, let me just tell you, if this happens to you, let me tell you what to do. I don't argue with that sentence because it's a good one. In fact, it's true. I don't measure up and I'm not able. But in that moment, the helper speaks to me and says this, I'm not able, but Jesus is. Amen. Praise God, Jesus is. He is able. He does measure up. And we're reminded of that, of how the Spirit speaks to us in those moments. So the Holy Spirit is a person. He is personal in all of his dealings with us, which leads us to the second truth. The Holy Spirit is powerful. The Holy Spirit of God is powerful. Think about what Jesus says in John 14, 18, where Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The power of the Holy Spirit is that he takes us who because of our sins are spiritual orphans and he brings us into his family. He takes us who because of our sins are dead in trespasses and sins and he brings us to life. That's a miracle, brothers and sisters. That is Power, a powerful miracle. In his book, The Insanity of Obedience, missionary Nick Ripkins, he tells uh, of Russian believers who are right now are experiencing miraculous miracles and signs that um, rival what we read in the book of Acts. But these believers, he writes, only use the word miracle to refer to conversion. In fact, they say this, they do so because the amazing acts of deliverance that they see pale in comparison to what happens when God, through his spirit, saves a dead sinner. Just think about that. Let that sink in for a second. Brothers and sisters around the world who are experiencing things that we don't even, that we just read about, and they don't even call those things miracles because they said that can't compare with the fact that God has saved my soul.
And the problem is most Christians in America, if you were to ask them the greatest miracle they've ever seen, they would give you something other than the fact that God has saved their soul. Oh God, forgive us. Forgive us for failing to realize the miracle of God taking us who are dead in trespasses and sins and bringing us to life. Oh, may God forgive us for not seeing that reality. And throughout Scripture, what we see is there are at least four things that the Holy Spirit does at our salvation. So when we're saved, four things at least that the Holy Spirit does. We're convicted and we're drawn to God by the Spirit, according to John 6, 44. We're born again by the Spirit of God. John, or Jesus says in, in John 3, speaking to Nicodemus, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And it says you must be born again. We are indwelt by the Spirit of God when we're saved. According to Romans 8, think about that. Every child of God, every child of God at salvation receives the Spirit of God. Does that do anything for us? Do, do we understand the reality? When was the last time the Spirit of God bore witness with our spirit that we are children of God? When was the last time that happened in our lives? And then the fourth thing the Spirit does is the Spirit seals us. We're sealed by the Spirit of God according to Ephesians 1. And what does that mean? What does it mean that we're sealed by the Spirit of God? I love the fact that um, three different times, or, or, or at least three different times, or three different ways, um, the, the word sealed is used in the New Testament. The first is in Matthew 26 when Jesus is put in the tomb and it is sealed. And the picture is, is when, you're, when you seal something, you close it up, you lock it in. The second is found in Romans 4.11 when it talks about Abraham's circumcision was a seal of the righteousness he had by faith. So it was a sign of authenticity, a sign of faith. And then the third is Revelation 7.3, which is the seal that God put on the forehead of his servants in order to protect them from the wrath coming into the world. Just I think about that picture. Think about what we heard the, the choir sing earlier. And the, the storm. And yet he keeps us safe till the storm passes by. What a beautiful picture that is. So what meaning then would Paul have in mind when Paul wrote in Ephesians 1 that we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit? And the beauty is this. Paul had it all in mind. Paul had it all in mind because God sends the Holy Spirit to us to lock us in our faith. We are locked in. We are sealed in. And then we receive a protective seal to keep us from all of the destructive forces, all of the storms that might come and go, especially the wrath of God. We are kept from that because of Jesus. The point is, brothers and sisters, we are secure and we are safe in him. In fact, I would say this, true love for God can only grow out of the soil of security. And this is where I want us to see that there is no, no threat to our security in Christ. Our threat is when we look for other things to be our security that's not Christ. That's when we're threatened. That's when threats happen, when we try to look at other things to fulfill us. And let me just say this, before I move on, I, I want us to think about our lives I want you in this moment to think about all that you are. As I'm going to just real quick kind of lay out before you all that I am. I am a child of God. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a pastor. I'm a family member. I'm a friend. I know some of you have other words, but I won't let you share those now. But here's what's true of me, and I, I, I'm thinking probably true of all of us. 
every single one of those identity markers can be taken from me except one of them. Every single one of those things can be taken from me except for one. I'm not all-powerful, therefore I cannot hold these things together. I'm not all-knowing, therefore I have no idea what might come tomorrow and what might happen in, their, in those relationships. But here's what I do know. I'm loved. I'm provided for. I'm saved. I'm ransomed by God. I'm a son of God. I've been adopted into His family that can never be taken away from me no matter what comes in my life if I get sick that's still true I'm still a child of God if I if I die that's still true I'm still a child of God if I'm broke that's still true if I'm no longer pastor that's still true if every relationship is taken from me that still remains true it's one thing no one and nothing can take from me. It is my primary identity. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. As Brother Steve mentioned about Secret Church and hearing um, Malaysian Christians, and the, the theme remains the same as we hear in other, other, other places. I come to Christ. Because I come to Christ, my family has disowned me. They won't talk to me. They don't come to my wedding. They won't talk to my children. I am dead to them. And yet they found in Jesus something more satisfying. And that is the reality that all across um, this world. And this is what the Spirit of God does for us, ransoms us out of spiritual orphans, places us into the family of God, gives us an identity that cannot be taken away from us. Oh, that we would rest in that. Holy Spirit is powerful. He saves us, and bless God, He keeps us. And then the last truth is this. The Holy Spirit is purposeful. The Holy Spirit is pur purposeful, meaning the Holy Spirit did not come upon us randomly. The Holy Spirit did not come upon us without cause. In fact, and there's a reason why Jesus gave us the Spirit. In John 16, 7, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says it's good for you that I leave because if I leave, I can send the Spirit to you. And here's what Jesus knew. Jesus in his human body could only be in one place at one time. But in going and sending the Spirit, the Spirit can minister to us, in us, through us, just as he's ministering to our brothers and sisters all around the world. For where can we go from his spirit? And the answer is nowhere. Nowhere. That is the beauty of what Jesus knew. Yet what is the purpose? And there are many purposes, yet I'll, I want to focus on the one that's supposed to unite us together as the people of God. Our purpose. Think about what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Believers, we are filled with dynamite power for a dynamite purpose, to exalt the Son of God in the church and throughout the world. Amen. To exalt the Son of God in the church and throughout the world. And I love that the book of Acts, maybe you've never thought about this, but in the book of Acts, there are 40 miracles that are described in the book of Acts, and 39 of them happen outside the church. Only one miracle happens inside of the church. And think about that question. 
Where do most people in our world need to encounter the power of God? And the answer would be right where they are. Right. But the problem is, where do many of us church members think that people must come in order to experience the power of God? The answer is here. And the problem is, that's not true. That's not true. We don't leave the Spirit of God in here until next week. We take Him with us for the standpoint that there are people out there that need Him. That's the whole picture. Get, get rid of this Old Testament philosophy that God only dwells here. No, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So understand that reality. Never forget Never forget that this daunting task that Christ has given us does not come, the power for it does not come from broken vessels like us, but it comes from the powerful Spirit of God. And because we're broken vessels, guess what? The Spirit of God is able to get out quicker. <laughs> That's the, because we're broken, the Spirit of God is able to get out even more and more. Consider this. There is something so important about the Holy Spirit that at the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus told his disciples, don't do anything. Don't go out with a message. Sit here for 10 days until you receive the Spirit of God. Let that sink in. Millions of people who were living and dying, going to hell, who had never heard of Jesus. And yet Jesus tells them, you sit tight. Don't do anything until you receive the Spirit of God. What was so important about the Holy Spirit that even the Great Commission could wait? And here's the answer. The point is, the Great Commission is not something that we do for God. It's something that He does through us. It's not something we do for Him. It's something that He does through us. The importance of this picture is that we cannot produce anything transforming. We cannot produce anything lasting apart from the Holy Spirit of God. God, we can't. Brothers and sisters, we can use our voice in every way, but unless the Spirit of God comes and invades and convicts, we can do nothing that will last. Yet the beautiful picture of the Word of God is that the Holy Spirit has a white-hot passion to see people who were dead in trespasses and sins brought to life, to see people who were in darkness brought into the light of the gospel, and to see the gospel proclaimed to the ends of the world because the spirit is here guess what it's going to happen it's going to happen so let me let me try to put this all together for us how do we tie in all of all, all of these pictures and here's what i would say christianity becomes explosive when it becomes a relationship with a person christianity becomes explosive when it becomes a relationship with a person a person in the work of the Holy Spirit that we encounter, that we interact with, that we stand in the presence of, that we are influenced and possessed by, a person that, if we're not careful, we can grieve the Holy Spirit, a person who loves us, who knows at any points in our lives the number of hairs on our head. I know that's easy for Brother Steve, but for some of us that's a little more difficult. But think about that picture. It knows us. The Holy Spirit who grieves when we grieve. So it's not just we grieve him. No, when the circumstances of our life grieve us, the Holy Spirit grieves as we grieve. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. A person whom we can love and know and surrender to and submit our lives to him. Let me just end with a quote from Spurgeon who says this. 
to the believer, honor the Spirit of God as you would honor Jesus Christ if he were here present. If Jesus Christ were dwelling in your house, you would not ignore him. You would not go about your business as if he were not there. Do not ignore the presence of the Holy Spirit in your soul. For if, he, if you are a child of God, he is there. Don't go about your business ignoring him. Surrender to him. Submit to him. And if you are here today and maybe you're not a, a believer, and right now your heart is beating out of your chest, it is the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God, and he is after you right now. You are not here by accident. You are here because in his divine providence, he brought you here. So believers, don't ignore the Holy Spirit of God in us. And if you're here an unbeliever, don't ignore what the Holy Spirit of God is doing right now in you. Don't ignore that either. Oh, by the power of God, that we would see the beauty of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and that we would do as we just did right before this message. Father, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Spirit, we love you. Glorify your name and all the earth. If you can go ahead and stand, I'm going to ask Brother Frank and the musicians to come forward as we enter into a time of invitation and consecration where we say whatever God is telling you to do, that you would do it. Let's just pray together. Father, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. Father, we need you. Jesus, we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. Father, we, we want you. Jesus, we want you. Holy Spirit, we want you. Oh God, today we pray that you would open our eyes by your word, by your spirit to desire like never before the relationship that we have been called um, and given the privilege and the responsibility to walk in. Help us not to ignore the spirit of God in us. God, help us to take time to listen for that voice. Sometimes a still, small voice. Sometimes a loud, undeniable voice. Help us to hear and to respond to that voice, whatever it is. For the, for the child of God today, Lord, may we no longer ignore what the Spirit of God is saying to us. For the unbeliever that's here or will be here, oh God, we ask, we, we pray that you right now, through your Spirit, would convict them. Show them their need for you and may today be the day of salvation. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.